Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 17th, 2018, in celebration of Father's Day, Pastor Mark Yule will be teaching a special sermon titled Four Gifts a Father Can Give from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Enjoy! We are out here again, Vacation Bible Extreme 2018, trying to figure out what these kids have been learning. What are you guys learning about this week? We're talking about fishes. How God is good and perfect. If you're lonely, God's always with you. Uh, how we should glorify God with everything we do. What's your favorite Bible verse? When you worry, Jesus rescues. What are you learning about this week? I forgot When we get scared, Jesus saves us and rescues us. Jesus rescues! What's the best part about Vacation Bible Extreme? The singing and dancing. The outside game. And eating lunch and snack. About to hear what these kids are learning about Jesus. <laughs> never mind. We can, never mind. Nope. Um, do you know what special day it is on Sunday? Um, no. It's a super duper special day. Wait, what is it? It starts with Father's and ends with Day. Oh, Father's Day. <laughs> Who do we celebrate on Father's Day? Um, moms. Um, for the moms. Father's Day is for the moms? Yeah. Can you guys play? Kind of rip off is this. What are you going to get your dad for Father's Day? Two weights. Two weights? To work out? Him, my sister has special needs, so I'd give my sister a cure. That would warm his heart. New golf shoes. Uh, donuts. I'm gonna give him breakfast. A teacup. A teacup? Why, why would you give him a teacup? <laughs> That's his favorite thing. A decent table saw. And also a hunting dead deer. His own guitar. I'd bring him to a football game and get him one of those VIP spots. A Lamborghini convertible, but I don't have enough money for that. What's your favorite thing about your dad? That he plays sports with me. He has a cool beard. Uh, he's a fireman and he puts out fire. Probably that he loves us even when we're terrible. That he keeps the family together. Do you have any good nicknames for your dad? Brotato Chip. Big Daddy. Brotein Shake. D-Money. Abrocado. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strong is your dad for real? Uh, maybe like uh, six and a half. Five. Nine and three quarters. What's the heaviest thing he could pick up? Um, my train set. A couple bricks. The whole world. Your dad could pick up a whole world? No. If there's anything you could tell your dad, right now on this camera, what would you tell him? That you're the best dad ever. Um, he's the best dad in the world that anyone could ever ask for. Happy Father's Day. I love you, Daddy. Happy, Happy Father's, Father's Day, Day Dad. Dad. I love you. Big honor to be able to speak today on behalf of dads, to be able to honor dads, to be able to encourage all of us really through God's word. But I want to tell you a little bit about my dad to start off with, Lawrence Frank Ewell. Uh, my dad was 82 when he passed away in 2011. 
Uh, he spent most of his years as an industrial arts teacher, and he could build just about anything out of wood. But the one thing he never built was really a big estate. In fact, when he died, um, all he left, all his worldly remains, would be contained in two small cardboard boxes. Uh, And my sisters and I had a chance to divvy those up. I came away with four things that I really treasure that my dad left. And I want to be able to share them with you today. The first is um, this little carved wooden cowboy. I think we have it up on the screen there. Uh, It's so much like my dad. He was kind of like the Marlboro Man, uh, kind of a a strong, silent type, didn't share a lot of words, but when he did, they were really impactful. Uh, Just a straight and true, high integrity type of guy. Uh, That was one of the things. Second on the the list was, uh, again, we've got it up on the screen there, uh, this bank. Uh, I told you my dad could make anything out of wood, and so this was one of the many things that he made uh, that's just beautiful. Uh, I'm bitter to this day because he left me absolutely none of that talent or skill to be able to do stuff like that, but I'll always treasure this. As I will, this third item. This is a pocket watch. I'm not sure exactly what the story is. As we were going through, we found it in his stuff, Uh, I never saw him use it, don't know how old it is or how valuable it is, but he kept it for his whole life, and because of that, I'm sure I'm going to do the same. Uh, So a nice little pocket watch. And then the fourth item, I think we need a picture of that, is, is this ring that I'm wearing right here. My dad went through a phase where he was doing a lot of uh, lost wax jewelry. So he took my grandmother's rings, melted those down, pulled the stones from it, and then crafted this ring. Uh, Again, it's a very valuable thing for me. Uh, And again, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to divvy that up between two sons, but they'll they'll figure that out. Um, Four gifts that my dad left me. Not much for 82 years of life, is it? But when I think back on Larry Yule, I think of much, much, much more than simply these four things that were from a box. I think of the legacy that he left me and he left my two sisters. And so this morning, I'd like to challenge all of us dads. In fact, I'd like to challenge each of us that are here today, whether you're a dad or not, about four things that we can leave our families that will mean much, much more to them than even the treasured heirlooms that you may be able to hand down. These four gifts are four legacy gifts, four things that are intangible. You won't need to put them in your will. You won't be able to put them in a box. You can give them to however many children you have, and they won't have to divvy them up because they can be given freely to all. But these four gifts are extremely valuable. And if it's better to give than to receive, and it is, then today we're going to be challenged to be able to have these gifts and to be able to give them to our families in such a way that they'll thank us for them. In fact, your children will thank you. Their children and perhaps their children's children will thank us for being able to pass on these four gifts. So the passage that we're going to be taking a look at, I'm drawing our words today from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, uh, either uh, on your phone or in front of you there, I'd invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is a great book. In fact, it's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's Paul's last words 
Uh, the commentaries tell us that, that uh, Paul would be executed by order of Nero perhaps weeks after penning and sending this letter off to Timothy. It's his last words to a man that he loves very much. Timothy wasn't his own son. He's his spiritual son. But in the second book of Timothy, it just drips with emotion about how Paul is trying to help Timothy conduct his ministry and even more importantly, how to conduct his life in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to God. So even if you aren't a father today, these words are applicable to all of us. But we're going to zero in on, on us dads and again put it in context to be able to address four gifts that we can pull out of here that, that any dad can, can uh, apply. And let me give you this. I, I, my prayer as I entered into this sermon prep was that we wouldn't leave discouraged. So often on, on, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, it works like this. We build the mothers up like crazy. And we, we say that you're the best moms in the world. We couldn't do without moms. We gush all over the moms. But when it comes to Father's Day, we, we kind of slap at them and say, hey, you need to do a better job, that type of thing. Uh, I've been praying that, that dads, we'd be encouraged. That we would leave today knowing that when we look at these four gifts that we can do it and we'll show you how easy that is as we work our way through this so second timothy chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 are the just a couple verses that we're looking at let me read these and then we'll pull out these four legacy gifts paul writes this to timothy you however have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life my faith my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions, persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, to be fair to the text, each of these ideas that are preceded by the word my, there's eight of them, and they all stand alone. So there's eight separate ones, but I thought, gosh, for, for memory purposes, what would happen if we paired them together? And so that's what we did. They're paired up into these four things, and I'd like to present them to you as these legacy gifts that we could leave our families. The first one that we can leave is an authentic model or an example to follow. An authentic example to follow. Paul writes the words, you have followed my teaching and my conduct. Teaching is the word um, instruction, and it literally speaks to the verbal instructions that a, that a person would give. And Paul would be able to look at Timothy and, and say, hey, Timothy, you have followed my instruction. You have followed the intentional words that I've given you. And not only that, but you've also followed my conduct, my way of life. So in other words, Paul is saying that in, in either the, the things that we've discussed or the things that I am now doing, Timothy, you have followed me as an example. And that's quite a challenge to be able to say to our families, isn't it, Dad? Hey, follow me? <laughs> that's a tall order. But Paul was not shy about saying that. To the Corinthians, he would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Earlier to Timothy, he would write this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Set the believers an example, a model, and set them an example in speech, in conduct, 
in love and faith and in purity. In other words, let's make sure that we're giving our families words, but let's also make sure that we're giving them deeds. Let's make sure that we're consistent, not hypothetical that our talk matches our walk. Dads, what a great example that we could, and what a great gift we could give our kids if we could simply say, hey, would you follow me? And what an inspiring thing it would be in return if they could say, you know, I want to be just like my dad because he's following Christ. What a great first gift to be able to leave our families. Here's a second gift, a true compass for guidance. A true compass for guidance. I get this from, from the, the two words aim and faith. Paul was all about aim. We could, we could rephrase that purpose. And he was all about his faith. We could reword that in regards to uh, his priority in life. And when it comes to purpose, there's an author that's probably spoken best about purpose. It's Rick Warren in Purpose Driven Life. He would say this about purpose. We were born by God's purpose, for his purpose. And without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. That's pretty good words about the importance of purpose and to be able to pass that on to our kids. But long before there was a Rick Warren, there was an Apostle Paul. And Paul had a purpose set before him that was unshakable. And he wanted to make sure that, that Timothy had this as well. He would write this to the, the uh, church in Philippi, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He said, one thing I do, just one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says it real succinctly and clearly to the Corinthians when he says simply, we make it our aim to please him, to please God. As he writes his closing words to Timothy, he's saying, hey, Timothy, you followed my aim. You followed my faith, the foundational faith of the gospel of Christ. You know, in a minute, we're going to have some dads come up and be panelists that are able to speak to each of these four gifts I asked one uh, dad uh, about this particular area, about what did you do with your two girls that gave them such a compass? Because when I see them, I see that they're, they're really filtering so many of their decisions through the word of God. What did you do? And I was hoping he'd serve as one of our panelists, but he wasn't able to make it. But he did send me an email. And um, I'm almost glad that he wasn't a panelist because he set a bar so high on what he did. I, I, I felt guilty as I was reading it. But here's one of the things that he did. Ingenious. When his daughters were three and four years old, he pulled out 26 um, short Bible passages. And each Bible verse started with a succeeding letter of the alphabet. In other words, A, B, C, all the way through the alphabet. And every night, every night before bedtime, he would go through and read these passages to his girls. 
And even though they were only three and four or years old, he said, you'd be amazed at how they're like sponges and they can read. And he said, pretty soon they memorized these 26 verses where he would be able to say uh, just the verse and then they would be able to associate the letter and they'd spell out words in code to each other. Uh, again, great way to do that, to laying the foundation of God's word as a compass that guides our kids. That's a great gift to be able to provide, a true compass, aim and faith for guidance. Here's the third gift, long-lasting love. Paul says it just real plainly. He says, you've seen my patience and my love. Uh, I reworded it long-lasting. Uh, the, the Greek word is a good Greek word uh, because we can almost picture it as we say it. It's the Greek word, patience is the Greek word macro Thumia. Now, macro simply means maximum, right? Macro, maximum. Thumia has to do with thermos, uh, something heated, right? Thermos or thermal. So when we put macro, maximum, thermio together, it's long to be heated up. We might say it, hey, this guy has got a, a long fuse. The old King James said, you'd be long-suffering if you had patience. And dads, what a great thing we would be able to leave our families if we could be a little bit more patient as we're doing our dad duties. Uh, I thought back on uh, some of my dad uh, years, and I think one of the benefits of getting older is you lose memories for this, but I can remember a point in time when, when I was probably pushing too hard and too strong too early on our younger son. And I can remember a point in time when it struck me, man, Mark, back off. I had uh, picked um, our younger son up when he was a freshman, along with two of his friends. They were at uh, football practice, and I picked uh, these three guys up and took them to uh, breakfast at Denny's. And here these strapping, strong young men are going into Denny's, and what do they do? they grabbed the children's menus and the crayons and just started coloring on the table there. And all of a sudden it hit me, wow, Mark, maybe you're expecting a little too much out of, uh, out of your son at, at, at that age. And uh, I, in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, maybe I'm more of a micro through me, a dad, and, and that I want things too quick, too early. Uh, dad, let's not do that. Let's be macro through me, a dad's. Patient dads, dads that don't push too hard, too strong, too early. And then this idea of patience is paired up with the Greek word agape, describing love. And I'd like to give you three words that you can connect with agape that really describe how God loves us. The first word is unselfish. God always loves us in a way that's best for us. And we can do a great service to our families if we would love in an unselfish way as well. When, when God loves us with agape love, he loves us unconditionally. He doesn't love us when. He, loves, he doesn't love us if we perform to such and such a level. He simply loves, period. Period. And that's God's unconditional love toward us. And what a great love to be able to give to our families as well. So unselfish, unconditional, and then third, undeniable undeniable as part of agape love. There's no doubt that God loves us. 
He gave the, the very best gift that he could give in his son Jesus. And dads, again, if we could love our families, and do you want to know how you can best make sure that your kids know that they're loved? The best way that we can make sure that our families know that they're loved, love their mom. Love their mom in an undeniable way. Uh, I'm not normally real good at this, but I intentionally tried to do that this week, even though our our kids are not around anymore. But um, I held Mary Beth's hand as we were walking through the parking lot. Uh, There were a couple times this this last week where we actually smooched a little bit in public. (laughs) And and I know if we had done that when our boys were growing up, they would have gone, oh, dad, don't do that. But you know, a little public display of affection will let your wife and your kids know that you love in an undeniable, agape kind of way. And that's, that's, that's love. So we've got three gifts so far, a true example to follow, or an authentic example, a true compass to guide, a long-lasting love, and here's the fourth gift, a trial-tested character a character that's been tested under hard times. Paul jogs Timothy's memory about the the missionary journey that they were on together. Paul and Timothy spent about 13 years of joint ministry time together. And Paul goes back to these three cities and he says, hey, Timothy, do you remember the kind of hardship that I experienced in these three cities? In Antioch, I was persecuted and, 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 and driven out of that city. In Iconium, there were plots to, to mistreat me and, and actually stone me, uh, but, but we were able to get out of there before those plots became reality. And do you remember in Lystra, I actually was stoned to the point of death. They thought he was dead as he's laying under this pile of large rocks. And yet, what does, what does Paul do? He somehow comes back to life, shakes off the rocks, and doesn't quit. He goes right back, instead of slinking off and retreating and staying away from those areas, Paul actually goes back and retraces his steps so he can check on the spiritual welfare of of the people that he was ministering to. If you're Timothy, what are you thinking as you see this guy do this? You're thinking, man, that Paul's one tough guy. He's not a quitter. He's not a grumbler. And he doesn't crumble when when life gets tough. So dads, how are you doing when it comes to to letting your children or your families know how you respond when life gets hard? And that's a reality, isn't it? It is. And our tendency so much as a dad is to want to protect our kids from hardship. But can I encourage you where it might be healthy to protect them I think it's also extremely healthy to let them see how, how we respond to adversity. Open up the curtain. Let them know how hard life is. In a healthy way, show them how you handle it well and perhaps even a better lesson, maybe show them how you don't handle adversity so well. And then simply apologize or ask forgiveness for it. So much can be learned when we do things either the right way or even sometimes when we do things the wrong way. Our children are watching. And if we could give them an example of how life is tested during hard times, what a great gift to be able to give our families. 
Well, those are the four legacy gifts. And guys, can I repeat it again? You can do this. We can do this together. And I'm going to bring up three dads that are doing it already. And so um, give them a hand as they come up. Dads, jump up here real quick. These dads are, are not perfect. In fact, they said, we'll only do this if you can give the disclaimer that we're just like every other dad up here. And so they are. But I know each of these guys well enough to know that they're doing a lot of things right. And so I want them to be able to share a little about, about these four things, about the uh, things that they're doing right, and uh, try to put some flesh on these principles. So guys, real quickly, tell us a little bit about your family and what did you pick up as a model or an example from your fathers? Brian, we'll start with you. Hi, uh, my name is Brian Behrens. Uh, I have an 11-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter. And, um, you know, growing up, my dad was kind of a quiet Christian, um, but he always made it a priority uh, to take us to church. Uh, my mother obviously influenced that as well, but... Um, you know, we were there every Sunday, and we uh, had a foundation built that when I was a kid, I didn't really, really realize it was happening. But as I grew older, I realized I actually know all the Bible stories and knew a few memory verses myself. And, Good. Um, so that's kind of what he uh, instilled in me as a child. Good. John, how about you? Tell us about your family. Uh, I grew up in a small family, <laughs> unlike Charles. Uh, one sister, that was it, and the outstanding characteristic of my dad, he was a Christian, but uh, it was ethical. And ethics, uh, I, I never saw him ever do anything that was questionably ethical. And uh, that was uh, more impressive to me as I thought back about it. And the other thing was that he always took an interest in the things that I was interested in. Yeah. And uh, it turned out that uh, we decided to race go-karts around the country and uh, my father, being a pharmacist, uh, learned how to uh, make the engines go really fast. <laughs> and uh, we won the state championship. Uh, there you go. Uh, doing go-karts. But we would go around the country. The races were on Sunday. And so uh, Saturday night, when we would get to the town, the first thing we would do would look around the town, find a church that had an early service that was done so we could get to the racetrack, uh, but uh, always go to church before the race. So. Uh, yeah. That was my dad. Good faith example. Charles, how about you? Tell us a little bit about what you learned, saw from your dad. You were talking about your father and what you inherited from him. Uh, my father uh, obviously left a few things for us, but the one thing that I wanted from him was his, his hat. You wore stuts and hats. That imagery, for some reason, just uh, kind of was the epitome of who he was. Some of you in the audience might remember Tom Landry. Others don't, never heard that name yeah. before. <laughs> But that was my father standing on the sideline with a, with a Stetson hat on. My father was a handshake guy. He believed in people for the most part, trusting. His word was his contract and his bond. He was a man that didn't need any merchandising. You knew he was in the room. And uh, he was not going to speak unless he needed to, for the most part. But I learned a lot from my dad. My dad taught me the value of service. He was one who believed that if it was somebody who needed help, you should help them and help them in any way you possibly can based on whatever resources you had available to you. He was also a man that uh, we learned an awful lot about this notion of a good name. He was very, very particular about having a good name. 
That would not mean very much to me in those years, but it has resonated differently now because everybody wants someone who has a good name. I didn't know the credit card companies, the bank, your insurance company, everybody's looking for a good name. Yeah. And consequently, it's something that I try best to model out. He was a God-fearing man. Uh, he would, you would scare him stiff if you ever said he was a minister. <laughs> but uh, he put us in places where we at least got the best of what there was to be offered. Yeah, awesome. Brian, tell us a little bit about the, that specific gift of that foundation of faith, or that true compass to guide. How have you built that into your family, and, and what creative things are you doing to make faith a, a priority or a purpose for your life? Well, really two things. Um, we prioritize uh, our time here at Highlands. Um, you know, Sundays, uh, the kids come to the first service, and then they go to their children's ministry in the, uh, for the second. And... Um, you know, my wife and I both participate uh, as leaders in junior high and fifth and sixth grades. So, you know, they kind of, they see that. Mm. And, you know, my goal is for them to just believe that that's just what you do. Um, yeah. There's not a question about it. Um, so prioritize church over sports, over school, over, you know, things that, that can be trivial at times. Um, even though I love, I love watching the kids compete. Uh, it's like one of my favorite things, going to practices, going to games. Um, for soccer and volleyball, but church has to come first. Uh, Sundays and Wednesdays and, and camps and other times where it's sometimes easy to say, I'd rather be doing something else. Um, but, you know, our, our kids have never regretted um, skipping out on a game to go to camp or to uh, come to Wednesday night. Um, and then, you know, serving, uh, whether it's here or on mission trips, you know, we're going to Haiti with the kids and We've been to Mexico and Jamaica and other places, and uh, I just feel like it's really important for them to realize that not everybody has the, you know, the means that we have and uh, the facilities and, and all the blessings that we have as uh, people living in the United States and specifically in Scottsdale. Yeah. Well, because of what you're doing, you're being a good example in setting, that again, that foundation of faith that they'll be able to take that, those same compass points and make decisions in their lives. Great job. John, patience was assigned to you. How do you put patience and love together? How do those coincide? I appreciated having the heads up on that one because <laughs> it was fun to, to look at Scripture and put those two together. And the first one I came to, of course, is 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. Well, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. But I thought, well, what about a godly patience? Uh, I'm a human being. What about godly patience? Well, I'm a believer, and I have the Holy Spirit I have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I looked at Galatians 5.22, and it said, uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And so, wow, now I've, got, now I've got the power, and I have the definition, and I know what to do. And so uh, I can manifest the patience, uh, but I can also access the Spirit for discernment, because when you're striving to be a good dad and, and be patient, you need discernment as well. So uh, I thought of a few ways that a parent can be, a dad can be patient. It isn't always easy. Uh, letting them help, even though it slows you down. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. In, uh, uh, being in, My dad only let me hold the light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, you know, that could slow him down the way I held it. Uh, the, the other is encouraging, and you talked about being encouraging without pushing, and I have a a story. My oldest son, uh, Derek, I was learning to play the bass viol, and uh, when he was uh, nine years old, and uh, 
he was getting pretty good at it and was in his room at night and he was practicing and I said, well, Derek, let's go one more lesson. I don't want to. <laughs> he said, Derek, come on, let's go one more lesson. And I really pushed him and a little tear went down his face and I thought, okay, okay, dad, <laughs> you know, you passed the line on encouragement on that one. So encouraging without being pushing and then calmly explaining as many times as it takes to get, uh, to get the message across. And then uh, if they make you angry, don't let your anger control your actions. I have to remind myself, don't let my anger control my actions. Mm. But uh, where the discernment comes in is that patience does not mean condoning. Uh, so there's a line there and all, you know, the middle of it is kind of gray. And so that's where the uh, discernment comes in and, yeah. and praying for your kids. Awesome. Where those things are hard. Patience is trying sometimes. What, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, Brendan, we always call him Boy Wonder. I'm sure he doesn't, never tried your patience, but your other son uh, maybe did. How did, how did you, uh, or, or how did you extend your fuse? How did you lengthen the time where you didn't get angry when you wanted to? I told Brendan I'd try not to embarrass him, so I'm going to leave him out of All this. Right. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> One of the things that helps me keep my fuse long, macrothermohumahuma, yeah, yeah. whatever you said, uh, is putting myself in their place and, and thinking about my own conduct maybe as a kid and not wanting to be hypocritical, not holding them to a standard to which I did not hold myself. Mm. Uh, praying for them daily, uh, really, uh, God does a work in my heart as well as does a work for them. But I also need to remind myself that patience preserves relationship. And an impatient outburst can have repercussions so far beyond the issue mm. that it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm more haunted by the things I said that I wished that I didn't say. Yeah. I can't remember anything that I wished I would have said, but I think <laughs> of the things that I wished I did not say. And so uh, before acting on an issue, I ask myself, is my response to pursue a resolution or is it based on retaliation? And retaliation is not a fruit of the Spirit. I didn't see it in there anywhere. And uh, the fruit of revelation is, uh, there isn't any. Uh, we are just in the Middle East in Israel and the people there have made a culture of, of retaliation and, yeah. where, and where are they yeah. so you can't expect a loving response without a loving word so I have to remind myself of that as I interact uh, with my family yeah good Charles um, I assigned you because I knew a little about your story and it's a great one uh, to speak to what did you learn from your dad as he experienced some hardships in life would you share a little bit about some of the hardships that you witnessed growing up and what you learned from it yeah, I'm enjoying listening to these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we grew up, uh, I grew up in the 60s, and uh, we grew up in the South. Uh, my uh, parents, my father was farmers. They were farmers. And I, for you in this room who know anything about farming, you know that can be a pretty tough life. Uh, you don't always come out in the farm world, even when all of the productivity of cotton and whatever is in, uh, with the expenses and everything else that leans against it, you might not make it out. My parents uh, had uh, gone through that several years. The family was a good-sized family. I am uh, one of uh, 12 kids, <laughs> uh, nine sons and 
three daughters. Trying to uh, raise that number of kids on the farm was pretty tough. And uh, my father had gone through some really, really tough years in which we just didn't come out, I think is the term that was used. And typically the settlement of crops would take place somewhere around late November, early December. And for him to come home and uh, tell my mother that it was another year that we just didn't make it out was just more than he could deal with. Just one of the trials that I saw him deal with on the farm. But knowing that he had to, uh, these kids to raise and uh, he had to do something different for some kind of an income base. So a pharmaceutical company moved to a town near us. And uh, my father knew nothing about that industry, but he went to them and asked them for a job. And I'm sure he asked in a very humble way. And they hired him. And they hired him as, uh, as a janitor. And that was probably required, it required an awful lot of divestment of pride by my father to do that. But he recognized that uh, that was probably the better of the two situations. And because of that, that was the turning point for our family. It was one of those things in which he replaced pride by putting Jesus in our life, and it worked out very well for us. I'm here to tell a story today. Uh, my dad was uh, the kind of man that was very, very quiet, and he did not allow that situation to adhere to us as kids. He wanted us to be as much of a kid growing up as naturally as possible. And consequently, the learnings from what he did made me understand this day and years gone by that pride can be an awful destructive thing if you don't put it in the proper place. So if I were to give anyone counsel today about family and grooming a family, it would be to put pride in the proper place, try to replace it with Jesus. Hmm. Well, not many uh, have had the experience of sharecropping or having the humility of a janitor, but uh, your dad achieved his goal Tell, tell him real quick, what was your dad's goal as a dad? Yeah, my dad had a, I, I call it his mission statement. He said, I have 12 kids. They're all going to graduate from high school, and nobody's going to go to jail. <laughs> and he achieved his goal. Everyone graduated from high school. No one that I know of went to jail. <laughs> and he had six kids graduate from college. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. We've got these dads up here just to encourage you again. Dads, you can do it. In fact, I'd like to, to challenge you, uh, again, as we did in the beginning of the service, would you stand up if you're a dad, a granddad, uh, if you have adopted some families? In fact, if you're a, a man uh, this morning uh, that has influence over others, would you also stand regardless of your age? I know we've got a few young men in the audience. Would you mind standing as well? I have you guys stand up because someday soon you're going to be standing with the rest of us. And I want every man here, regardless of age, to realize, guys, God's given us an incredible uh, responsibility, 
an incredible privilege to be a father. And you can do this. I've borrowed from the Home Depot. You know their tagline? Uh, Their tagline is, you can do this and we can help. Well, I borrowed this example from not only Home Depot, but last night I had the chance to hear one of my sons give a sermon, and he started off his sermon with this tagline, you can do it and he can help. And I'd like to close with that same thing. Uh, On this pencil are, are the fourth gifts that we can give our children. We can give them an example. We can give them a compass to follow. We can give them a long-lasting love, and we can give them a character that's proven during hard times. Dads, I want to pray for each of you and each of you potential dads or young men that can influence others, and then we're going to ask everybody to sing a good, good father. In fact, you wore your shirt in honor of that very song. So can I pray for us? But dads, again, we can do this. It's possible. Because we've got the the love of God our Father with us. We've got the rescuing strength and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ who offers himself up to pay the penalty for our sins for the fact that so often as dads we don't do it well. And we need his forgiveness. And we've got it. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that can help us do this. Dads, we can do this. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to ask all of us to stand up and sing. Father, thank you again for the chance to be able to come together this morning and honor our fathers. Father, each of us have one, and we give you thanks for them this morning. Father, help us to be able to recognize the incredible privilege and and, uh, responsibility of being a dad But God, again, with that uh, comes an incredible amount of joy. So, Father, I would pray that you'd help us as dads to be able to do it well, that we would be able to take these four gifts, be able to work on them in our lives, and through your strength and empowerment, be able to pass them on to our families as well. Father, bless these dads that stand before you today. And God, for each of these men, help us be ones that can simply say, follow me as I follow Christ. Father, thank you for being our Father. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.